Welcome to Open All Eyes, the QPR podcast. We are in week eight of whatever this is. Um, obviously, you all know we're, we're all in the same situation. Um, this is the latest Saturday edition of uh, Open All Eyes. I'm joined by Paul Finney in his garden, looking very fresh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. What it is? Some someone I won't mention names has got the power of a mute button on this Zoom meeting, and I, I have to unmute myself. Then I get muted again. So, hello, Flo. How are you? And I'll probably get <laughs> muted again. I'm all right. I'm feeling a little bit sleepy because we've got a, a slightly earlier start than usual, but I'm all right. Yes, it's all my fault. I know. Sorry. <laughs> and Clive Whittingham over in uh, in his little Zoom box. Yeah, and it's me with the power of mute over Finney as the meeting host. I've waited my entire life to have a button that turns Finney off. And this morning, I have one. So the power is all with me. And with great power comes great responsibility, Clive. So just think no, about... <laughs> no chance. <laughs> I'm going to use it very liberally. And Chris Charles. Morning. Also looking a little bit sleepy, so yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah. Um, we have a very special guest today, thanks to Mr. Paul Finney, who has managed to get an absolute uh, five-star Hollywood guest, I would say. Um, Are you and, taking uh, the mickey, Flo? I'm not taking the mickey. I think, mm. judging by the fact that content featuring this man is still going viral on a weekly basis i think people are going to want to tune into this one so i think it's a major coup um so before we um admit him into the zoom because he'll be sitting in the waiting room uh we're just going to do a little brief um kind of i guess synopsis on what's happened this week because there's been a couple of things um obviously last week we were chatting about potential updates we chatted to Liam Kelly and he'd said that um the gaffer had told the players that they might be returning earlier than first expected and I think that was probably because of some of the um government's um confusing um rhetoric shall we say anyway obviously we all um <laughs> we all saw some of those uh, updates that we received and then I think people got a little bit overexcited um and the EFL has now issued a statement to say that clubs can't return to training until 25th of May and I think there are a few worries about unfair advantage with a few players going back earlier than others a few clubs going back earlier than others so the EFL tried to say that championship clubs can't come back until then League Two was announced yesterday has been finished um, and they've decided the the uh, ups of that one obviously slightly easier because of the Berry situation so they had one fewer teams um, but they've got three going up am I right Clive and then the, the hope is they might still do a playoff yeah I mean it was more cut and dried for League Two wasn't it because they just can't afford to uh, go beyond the end of June with the contracts and like you say with Berry getting relegated into that league next year they can still promote the conference champion if they want I mean even Port Vale who I think are one place and one point outside the playoffs voted to end the season so I mean that shows you how stark the situation is in League Two League One complicated by the top six um 
sort of reneging on the original idea and uh, and gate crashing their meeting yesterday so nobody knows what's going on with league 1 and it'll just get more complicated the closer to the uh, to the championship and the championship promotion situation we get i think yeah, and after the, the government update um, on Monday, the sports minister released guidelines saying that no professional sport could resume until the 1st of June. Now, with football, obviously, we know that the players are going to need at least three to four weeks to even get up to speed with training. So that's not going to start until after that anyway. But that's sort of the guidance where we're at now. But obviously, it's a it's an ever-changing situation. And this weekend... Germany's Bundesliga returns and everyone's been very excited about that but obviously we know that Germany's handling the situation was a little bit different and perhaps they're in a in a a more comfortable and secure situation to return football and obviously I know we've discussed that with these with these situations they can unravel quite quickly if you know a group of players or a team test positive and the whole plan sort of goes up in smoke which has already happened in Germany but we'll just have to see what happens really there is league 1 need to continue their negotiations but it does seem like the championship and premier league will still um try and reconvene uh, at some point um I don't know if anyone wants to add anything else to their updates from this week before we... Uh... I noticed that Glenn, uh, Glenn Murray, I think it was, said in the week that the, the, the top end of the championship, if they don't finish their season, they shouldn't be promoted. Now, obviously, he's got a vested interest because he doesn't want Brighton to go down and there's a lot of vested interest kicking around. But I did agree with him. On, <clears throat> I did kind of agree with him on that. I, you can't. I still don't think you can just say with nine games to go, well, Leeds and West Brom, you can go up. I just, I don't. Particularly, I mean, it's, it's relevant but not relevant, but Leeds are well known at this stage of the season for choking, aren't they? So, you know, you can't just wave them through, uh, you know, with nine games to go, I don't. Yeah, I think with the, with the championship, sorry, but I think with the championship, there's just too much money at stake to go down a PPG situation. What did you want to say, Paul? No, I just think it's, it's, I just still, I just can't see how they can resolve it where everyone's going to be happy because, as Clive says, if if they do put Leeds up, they'll be over the moon. But if Leeds nine games ago will probably fall. Like, and West Brom were looking were looking okay, but a little bit shaky as well. And the teams that were on form were just coming in, you know, below them. So if you're a Forest and, a, and, and certainly a Brentford, or hit the side, you, you, you're going to be really creative. There's no playoffs at least. But yeah, I don't know how they're going to resolve this. I mean, I think the easiest way would just be promote us and just piss everyone off. <laughs> I think whatever happens, you, you, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna jar somebody off and. You could see lawsuit city, uh, yeah, lawsuits flying all over the place, one way or another. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a tricky situation. Uh, league one, yeah, the six, uh, the, the the league one six, as they'll probably be known. Um, that 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 looks like that's going to run and run for a bit as well. Yeah, and then the the women's super league, they're they're poised to to um, pull the plug as well, and that's a pretty tight title race, a bit like League One, and they're going to be trying to work it out on PPG. But it could end up that Chelsea win the league, even though when things were suspended, Man City were top. So it gets it gets a little bit complicated. But I mean, what can you do in this situation? But I think it was quite nice seeing the QPR Ops team's Twitter and seeing them. Um, return to Loftus Road and, and start working on the grass and sort of getting things set up with the hope that, you know, maybe in three, four weeks there will be some behind closed doors games. Um, are you guys going to be watching Bundesliga this weekend? Been tuning in for Union Berlin. They've got a really easy game this weekend as well. They've only got Bayern, so uh, we'll get, get back involved with the defeat, I think. It'll be interesting to see how it goes because 
it's probably going to end in disaster. That's a pessimist to me because, you know, I can't see how this is going to work. I mean, you've already had one club have three players with it. and I don't know. It just seems mad. But, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it and see what the crack is. Yeah, I mean, it's uncharted territory. It's, you know, but I think that everyone will be looking on with interested eyes to see how this goes and uh, how it goes over the next few weeks. But, yeah, as a football fan, I'll, I'll be all over it. Dave Barton just... made a good point on uh, on our message board this week. He, he put it better than than most people have. Is that um, this idea that we should just get rid of this season or end this season to protect next? I mean, we don't know. There's all this talk of second wave and further lockdowns further down the road. He said, "Why would you rush to get this season out of the way to start another one that might not finish as well?" You know, it's you know, his point of view. I think is that you should. We should finish this season, but it doesn't have to be June. It doesn't have to be July. It just has to be whenever. You know, why Why are we rushing to get a season out of the way to start a new one, which also might not finish? Yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally on, on that one. I think finish this season and then, yeah, have a shortened season next season. You know, even if it's only playing half the games and then drawing out of a hat, whether it's home and away, that, that would seem to make most sense to me. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be... Even if they do restart, they've re- they're going to the intensity and the desire to just get things wrapped up so quickly as well because because of that threat of a second wave. You already saw and on the news last night they were saying the whole you know R number, which is so important in terms of how many people pass on the virus, is always is already climbing back up to one. Now that when that happens and it goes over there, then we might all be on lockdown again and there'll be no one going anywhere. So. I, th- I guess they just don't know. They have to see what happens. But it does, yeah, it does seem a little bit kind of maybe over, over kind of eager to get everything going. With you know, you don't even know when the next season might come as well. Yeah. So, but I guess it, co- it comes back to what what I said last time I was on. They, they'll basically do what Sky demand of them because they're they're desperate for for that Sky money. So if Sky say we want some football in June. That's what they'll try and give them. I'm not sure about the idea of drawing things out of a hat, Chris. That'll just be us playing Mil- Milton Keynes and Blackburn over and over again <laughs> on a loop. <laughs> Sorry, I meant for who plays home and who plays away if it's a Sean season. <laughs> QPR MK dance forever and ever. I kind of feel like I'm stuck in that situation now. It's like <laughs> it's some a bit sort of football in purgatory. Groundhog Day at Stadium MK is what lockdown it oh, feels oh, like. Waving. I can um, see you waving, Paul. I was just wondering when you were going to talk. You were just waving for about 10 no, minutes. I, I've got something to tell you, but on the, I, I had to go to take a phone call from Neil Warnock, um, but I'll talk to you about that in a second. Um, on MK... You just spoiled the big reveal of our guest, Paul. He's so big time, isn't he? <laughs> oh, never mind. Anyway, on MK, they're not really a football club in my eyes, never mind. Um, <clears throat> and never will be club killers. Yeah, um, thanks. Thanks for that, Finny. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I think it's also interesting that no one seems to really ask the players what, whether they want to play football either. We, there's a couple who've said that they don't feel very safe, but apart from that, the, the decision's sort of taken out of their hands. Anyway, um, now is the time for our uh, big-name guest that Mr Paul Finney has managed to arrange. Um, so we're going to be joined by uh, a legendary manager in the English game who uh, has led several clubs to the promised land, as it were, um, but um, most famously, I guess, led QPR there as champions of the 2010-2011 championship season. So we have Mr. Neil Warnock joining us. Uh, okay. 
Neil, do you have like any thoughts to start with before we get into the QPR stuff about how how and when football comes back? I mean, this Not is really, the big question at the moment. I think my biggest. Uh, worry is that it, it's not got to it, it's not got to be done for the wrong reasons now. It's not got to come back for financial reasons or anything else. We've seen that much suffering that I think life is more important. So it, for me, it can only come back when it's safe and it's not going to cost any lives. And uh, you know, I can only see the Premier League and probably the Championship being finished if they isolate the whole squads. And play behind closed doors and, and, and retest them before the matches because you can't, you've got to have contact in football, haven't you? So I think that's the only way to isolate the squads for the nine games and, uh, and, and try and get through it that way. But it's, you know, what, whichever it's, it's going to, I think it's going to take a long time and, and there's going to be casualties, I think, along the way down below in the, in the division, in division one and two, you know. A lot of vested interests and a lot of arguments at the moment as well. I mean, what, where do you stand on the promotion relegation? Like, wait, you know, waving teams up with nine games to go and things like that. Is that is that practical? Do you think? No, I don't. I don't agree with that at all. I think they should finish it, even if it's September, October, and and you know, not worry about everybody. I think the main thing in the, in the Premiership is that um, the other you know, the, in in the the FIFA, they want to actually organise the Champions League draws and things in the summer, you know, and, and what have you. So I think that's what's pushing the the uh, the Premier League. But uh, regarding the Championship, I, I would like to see it finished as and when it's, it can be finished. You know, not I don't see any reason why they should put that off and avoid it or promote two teams now because, as everybody knows, with three points for a win, anything can happen in those last nine games. And, um, you know, one of my promotions... Uh, I think we won the last seven games to just get in the playoffs and got promotion. You know, it's, so it's uh, anything's possible. Yeah, it's often the way, isn't it? That team that gate crashes the playoffs with all the momentum, you know, can can pile on, and and that doesn't happen if you were. And also, your your beloved former employers at Ellen Road have a have a habit of choking at this time of year, don't they? So uh, they're, they're probably yeah, quite happy if it goes on. I think, from my point of view, the main thing is it's not got. The, We've got not to worry about promotions and, and relegations, and we've got to worry about lives. I think we've got to get priorities right. Really, we've got to make sure that we, that we you know, we, down the line, we don't have casualties because we're playing football. Um, you know, that's what worries me. I don't, I don't think we really know enough about this, even the top people, to uh, to justify you know going back at the moment. Um, and when you're a player, some players have got people in the family that are vulnerable and, and you know it's it's a hell of a responsibility for people to say we're going to do this we're going to I think you still got to be open to saying to the players themselves you know as a manager you know how do you feel do you want to you know do you want to play and and get the answer from the players because if you don't want to play because of problems like that you shouldn't be put, you shouldn't be punished use the uh, the orchestra in the background there, by the way. I've got <laughs> so, Neil, Neil, do you, it's Paul here. Do, do you feel in some ways that footballers have been held out to dry by the politicians as some kind of like um, escapism and, 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 and picked on unnecessarily and put at risk just to um, save some kind of face by the politicians? Because I think what the Matt, Matt Hancock thing really, really did do a lot of damage to footballers and I think treated massively unfairly compared to everyone else in society. Well, I think that... I think footballers, footballers in general are easy targets, and uh, 
and they don't help themselves a lot of the time with the, with the articles that appear in the newspapers, you know. But I don't think Matt Hancock really thought everything everything through uh, before he said what he said, really. Because, you know, footballers, yes, they do get paid a lot of money, but they pay a lot of tax as well. They, they do a lot of good behind the scenes what people don't see. Uh, most clubs have the foundations, etc., and the charity work that they all put in. So it, I suppose, it, you know, because they are an easy an easy target. Um, having said that, in this particular case, I did I do think that the, the Premier League themselves could help the lower division clubs a little bit more than what they have done so far. Well, Neil, we get, obviously while we've been on lockdown, we've been watching back old games, old seasons. There's been a lot of reminiscing going on, and uh, and your classic QPR season's been been right at the heart of that. So. Take us through it from the start. You were Crystal Crystal Palace manager before you came to QPR. When did you or your agent get the call and, and what attracted you to our strange little club in the first place? Well, I spoke to Gianni Palladino. I mean, I, I, I love Gianni. I know he's had his critics, but he's such a lovely man to me anyhow. And I really got on well with him. And, and uh, when I was at Crystal Palace, the, the uh, administrator had kept coming and giving me my cards, you know, um, and then tried to re- renege on that deal when I, you know, when I told them I was going to leave then and, and go to QPR. So it, it was a it was a strange one at the time. Um, but well, we, you know, it, we, I thought it was the right move when I met Gianni. I liked Gianni, and I, you know, I, I said to him I'd do the best. He said he would try and help me with the owners uh, to deal with the owners. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've all seen the four year plan. And, and you must be aware of, of uh, what it was like. And it, probably one of the best jobs I've ever done off the field, QPR, let alone on the field, um, to keep everybody intact and, uh, and to get promotion. I think it was a, it was a fabulous achievement, really. And the way we did it, it, it from my point of view, managerial-wise, um, it was a massive test for me to... Um, I decided early doors about Adele, you know, Adele Tarab and... and um, and to see us get promotion with him in the team was it was super really. We'd burned through a hell of a lot of managers in a very short period of time before that though. Did you were you a bit mad for taking it on? I mean, was there any sort of trepidation in coming into a club that had that reputation? Well, I've, I've always liked I've always liked clubs. You know, when I look at the ground and, and um, Crystal Palace's ground was the same old fashioned grounds where the crowd are right on you, and I've always thought. QPR would be a fabulous one to get the, the fans on your side, you know, playing the home games and, and what you could achieve. And also, Crystal Palace whetted my appetite. I always thought below Watford was the, the end of the world uh, most of my career. Um, and all of a sudden, I was in, at Crystal Palace and loved going into London and, and uh, Beckenham, where I live, was fabulous. And, you know, we went over to Shepherd's Bush a few times. And so... It, that interested me as well because I, I was loving London. Um, the, the club had been in a little bit of a, a, a mess for for a while. I think I could say a mess really um, for a while, and it just seemed ideal. I, I've always been sort of a Red Adair. If you look at my career, um, I know one or two of you were too young to remember Red Adair. He used to put the oil fires out and on from the old, uh, you know, when he had a problem. And I always seemed to be called. The change really. I wanted a, an overhaul, uh, and I think once again, 
I think we got everybody together at, at QPR. I think they um, probably needed me more than I needed them, if I'm honest, at the time. And, and it worked out really well for both parties because I really enjoyed working with Gianni. And, and uh, it, was, it was a challenge with, with, um, with Bernie and, and Flavio um, because, you know, it, it, a lot of the time, the owners I've had and, and, and people, it, they're not really into football, so they don't, they're not aware of the situation. And, uh, and, you know, managing that part of the club was always always one of the biggest challenges for a manager. And, and that was a, a hell of a challenge, especially later on in the season. I think it was Easter time when we slipped up at uh, Scunthorpe. We lost about four, and uh, Adele didn't play that game. And he gave me some... Uh, cock and bull story about he had to go abroad somebody had been shot and he had to go abroad to uh, his friend to, to see his mother and somebody else and uh, but he would be back on the Sunday he said so I let him go and uh, on the we lost four and uh, cause that night I think I had phone calls from Flavio and saying you know you don't know what you're doing my coach and we're never going to win another game and you know I think it's time for you to go and all sorts of things uh, and I remember speaking to Bernie and telling Bernie and Bernie saying take no notice um, you know we got we got, we had uh, Barnsley on the Tuesday so we stayed up over over the weekend and uh, and I said to Bernie Bernie you know we've only got I think nine or ten games to go you, you know you've got to let me do, you know I've been in the game long enough to know what I've got to do. I said, everybody has hiccups, but you've just got to trust me. And he just said, you just get on with it. Don't worry about Flavio and uh, try not to listen to him and, and all that. Lot. And then we went to Barnsley and I remember um, uh, my secretary on the Sunday, um, I remember saying, to, uh, finding out where Adele was. And uh, she rang me in the hotel to say that, um, he, they'd got, he'd, he'd, he'd been contacted, he was around and coming to the training ground. So I just said, well, look, don't let him leave the training ground, whatever you do, he's got to come up to Barnes, play at Barnsley, so he's got to come up. And she came back to me, Caroline, and, and said, um, I'm sorry, but he, he, uh, he wants to go home and he wants to do this. So I said, well, look, send somebody with him in another car and let him stay outside and tell him, that because he wouldn't talk to me on the phone, tell him that he's got to go to Barnsley and they'll wait as long as he takes. And uh, and that's what we did. We went sent somebody over to his house. He went home and about two hours later he came out and, and got in the car and came up to Barnsley. In the meantime, I'd had somebody tell me that um, Adele, um, the, Adele's passport had been found uh, in, in South End for some reason. And... Uh, I hadn't got a click because he didn't know. So, of course, he came into the hotel and I told him that he was going to be playing. How are you feeling, son? Yeah, all right. Did everything go all right in France? Yes, but everything all right, my friend, and all this, that, other. I said, how did you get there without your passport? And he just gobsmacked him while he didn't ask. What do you mean? I said, well, I've got your passport here. So, uh, well, anyway, I said, look, I haven't got time for this now. I'll talk to you after the Barnsley game. You better do the business against Barnsley or you're in big trouble. And and I don't know whether you remember, but he scored the first minute against Barnsley. (laughs) Then it was Dunkirk. We were under the cost for 89 minutes after that, but we managed to win. And and I thought that was a turning point, really. And we got Adele back on board. And it's, uh, 
you know, it was a, it was a good finish to the season after that. Yeah, it was not many managers would um, have taken a chance on Adele Neal. What made you? Uh, what made you decide to sign him? Well, when I took over the first day in training, it was an international break, and I think we had ten days for the game for the first game. I think the first game was top of the league, West Brom at home, I think. And um, we had the game. It was sunshine, and uh, a member of staff. I can't remember which one it was, but a member of staff that stood alongside me um, on the pitch because I used to referee the games and things. And uh, he was t- I was asking him, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? You see? And uh, Adele had gloves on. Red Hot Day, he played with gloves on. And uh, and I said, who's that with the gloves on? Oh, Gaff. he said, Gaffer, you don't want to know him. So I said, what's that? He said, this, that's Adele Tarrat. He said, he'll get you the sack. He's got two managers of sack already. He's a waste of time. You'll never, you'll never play him. So anyhow, I watched this game, and because um, I like my lads to uh, first game, I like them to put the pads on them. I like to see who's heading the ball, who's tackling, who's shirking, who you don't want in the trenches. With you. I met quite early doors, I can form a, a, an opinion on that. And uh, and this particular day, as I say, Adele, he was doing things like I'd never seen before, and um, enjoying himself, and then he. And then he'd get kicked and he'd do this, that and the other. And um, and so I remember going up to him after the game because we, we were in trouble then, to relegation trouble really, with the, the, a few games left, like you say. So I thought to myself, enduring refereeing that, I thought, well, for us to be safe, we've got to score goals. We haven't scored that many goals up to that, so there was a problem in that. So I remember pulling him on one side, Adele, and Checking his hand, I said, take your glove off to check me hand. I said, I don't like gloves. And he took his glove off. And uh, I said, um, right, I've got to tell you that everybody that I speak to tell me that you're going to get me the sack. I, I, I get you the sack? He said, yeah, you get me the sack. You understand? If I play you, you get me the sack. He says, no, I don't get you the sack. I know. I said, he said, well, every." Everybody tells me you've got other managers the sack because you're not bothered. You're not, oh, no. So, anyhow, he's, 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 he's wondering what's up going off here. So I said, well, look, you know, on Saturday, the next game, I think he was West Brom. I said, we play West Brom on Saturday. I said, uh, I'm going to play you. Do you understand? Oh, yes, yes, good. I, I'm, yeah. Do you understand? I said, and if you are shite, you understand, shite? If you are shite, I'm going to play you the following week. And he's thinking, if you, I'm shite, he's going to play me. Yeah, I said, and if you are shite the following week, I'm going to play you the following week as well. You understand, so? Yes, I think so. So, so, do you understand, shite? He said, yes. I said, well, if you're shite, every game between now and the end of the season, you are going to be playing. And he went, oh, okay. I said, then you are going to get us up the league table. No problem. And then next season, we're going to get promotion, whether you're here or not. Do you understand? He went, yes, I think so. I said, good lad, well done, son. Shook his hand. I said, off you go, son. And <laughs> I remember him walking across, and uh, Ali Fallers pulled me after, and Ali said, Gaffer, what did you say to him? So I told Ali what I said. He said, he, he come to me and said, Ali, Ali, 
he said, if I, if I shite every game I play, I, I do not understand. <laughs> Ali just said, well, don't be shy. Ali, just, <laughs> just play an hell okay, sir. And we gave him the freedom. And uh, what we did when we did sign him, we... I looked at this. What he did, he, he gave us. He gave us something we hadn't got. I looked, I, and I loved him as a lad. But he used to come back and pick the ball up off Casper and people at the back and, and Connolly, and they'll all give him the ball in our arm. Then he used to do a pirouette, try and nutmeg somebody, lose the ball, and we were up against it. So within two weeks of, of me coming, I, I remember saying especially later on when uh, Clint Till came and Derry and that, I said to him, uh, right, anybody passes the ball to Adela in our own half, we'll be fined 50 pounds. Okay? And, and all the players. And Adele stood there when I'm talking to him. Anybody? Goalkeeper? Centre-half? Casper? You? Clint? Anybody? Anybody passes to him, 50 pound fine. Okay? So then Adele looked at me. I said, so you understand the line there, Adele? You go back in there, you are fined 50 pounds. Do you understand? 50 pounds? Yes, 50 pounds. I said, so you don't go in there, okay? You don't touch the ball in there, okay? So I think we find a couple of lads, and we only did it joking. They all went in the, in the, in the pot for the, for the charities thing. But I think we find two lads, that's all, for doing it. And... Um, you know, because the other lads, if they did pass it to him and he went and got the ball, they'd all shop him anyhow. They'd all say, he passed it to him, Gaffer, you said, you know, and they'd all do him. So, uh, Jenny Mackey and all, it was funny because so we, we got on, we got a few, uh, a few fines and we, and we turned it round where in, anybody gave it to him. I said, give it to him anywhere he wants in that half, anywhere he wants. If he's got two or three men around him, don't worry, give it him. And we just let Adele do what he wanted to do there. And I think it gave him the confidence to go on and take his own game a bit further, Adele, because he's never been since. Never, Harry, Harry, I remember Harry saying to me when we got promotion, well, I've got to take my hat off, Neil. I do not know how you've done it with him. I pulled my hair out every day, and I, you know, I couldn't wait to get rid of him. And, uh, and I knew what he meant because he could have got you down. But I just decided, don't ask me why, I just had that feeling when I was refereeing, this lad, I'm going to love him. I'm going to love him. And the number of times now he, he, he rings me and texts me, I'm still playing gaffer, you know, I'll still do you a job and, and all this, that, and other. Because I think Adele realised how much he loved that season as well. And, uh, and the fans, I mean, they were amazing. And it, was a, it was just a wonderful time to, to, to get everybody together and, the home match at Wow. Nobody wanted to come down to Loftus Road. It was it was electric, you know. So it was it it, it was one of the biggest achievements in the fact that I'd never really I'm not an Adele Tarab type of manager, me. But for some reason, I just I decided to go along with it. And uh, you know, I told the other lads when I made him captain. I remember pulling three or four C Elgerson and, uh, and Sean Derry and a few others and pulling them in and said, look. You should all be captain before Adele, but I'm putting Adele as captain. Do you understand? And they went. Well, I said, I'll tell you why. Because he's not going to he's not going to throw many tantrums if he's captain, and also we're going to win a few more games, get a few more points because he's captain. I said, it doesn't matter. You're all captains anyhow. So we've just got to make Adele feel important. 
and they all took it on board. Although it was a bit, I think it was a bit, uh, there was a couple of games, I think Holloway or something like that, where he got kicked early doors and the ref never give a, never give a free kicks. And uh, he, he really got kicked back a couple of bad tackles and, and he's, he's waving across to us. And uh, Curly, I remember Curly saying to me, uh, Gaffer, Adele, Adele wants to come off. He's going like that. He's going like that. I'm not playing and waving his arms. I'm not playing with this. And all that. So I said, Curly, just ignore him. Look the other way. Don't even, don't acknowledge him at all. So nobody acknowledged him. None of that. So tell all the staff, physio, sit down. And we just got an easy there. Nobody's coming on and the ref stops it. And, no, we're, we don't want anything. So he got up and gingerly and walked away. And, you know, a dog's like throwing his arm up in the air. <laughs> you know, the Moroccan stance and all that. But, and uh, and then we, we carried up and uh, got a result. And Curly said, well, I can't believe he stayed on. I said, well, he wouldn't have stayed on if we'd have just acknowledged him. So it was, it was, all, it was hard work, all, all, all the things. But at the end of the day, when you saw the beauty of, of the footballer, um, in you know, I mean, one of the particular goals, I think it was uh, uh, against Leicester, where one of the balls near the dugout with the outside of his foot, right in through the middle, Wayne Routledge, one touch, round the keeper, a goal. It was just, I've never seen anything like it. It was, it was brilliant, really. So I know I've gone on a bit, but I think you had to go on to tell the whole story about Adele. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, he, he recently did an interview with, um, with, with the club and uh, he, he described you as a father figure. And, you know, as you said, he's, he's still in touch with you now. Yeah. I mean, he's, he was a likeable rogue, I used to call him. And, uh, and, and the, the lads appreciated that. I mean, you know, some people didn't like it because in training, you know, he, he's not. But that's how he, that's how they were. He, he, that's how he was. And um, you know, it was it, to see that in the championship to get a team like. I mean, you know, I'll go back to Cardiff, my last club, Cardiff City away when we played them, and uh, and really, if we could get a result at Cardiff, I felt we'd we'd go up. And of course, we looked at the team sheet, and you know, they had Bellamy and Boothroyd and all the bigots, really. And the crowd at Cardiff was amazing. That that's one of the reasons I always love and wanted to go to Cardiff as well. And um, they scored a goal. I think I don't know which way it was, but Boothroyd scored one. And uh, and then out of nowhere, we were nowhere. And, and and then I think the first one was his corner kick, or was it the second one? But anyhow, he, he, a short corner back to him and a bit of magic edit box top corner one each and then the other other B scored uh, I think Bellamy scored the second was 2-1 and then another bit of magic from nowhere to each and, and you know I just I just knew we'd, we'd go up there after that, that day and uh, and nobody nobody on the pitch could have scored the two goals that Adele did so it, it, it was really satisfying from me inside knowing that I'd persevered with somebody that nobody else would touch, really. And to see him fulfil that, he would never forget this season. And if you did clips of him, and, and he will never have had a better season in his life, really. And he got some great moves and um, earning a lot of money. And, and he, has got, he has got himself fit again. In fairness to him, I, I wouldn't have thought he could do, but, um, you know, on the strength of that season... Um, 
you know, he, he, he got two or three really good moves. and uh, He's playing defensive midfield now, which is gets fairly terrifying. <laughs> it is, yeah. I think the thing is now, he, he's learnt a lot. Uh, uh, he's got his experience now. He's a great passer of the ball. And he does read the game well. So he can read situations. You know, if it was a 50-50, you know, I would look the other way, if I'm honest, with a doubt. <laughs> But if he can read the game, and it, the Continental game is slightly different to the English Championship, uh, so you know it might be the it might be the position for him. You know, people like uh, Wayne Rooney back at Derby, you know, could probably play that role for for many years if they if they've got the legs around them. You know. And I asked um, about your first <laughs> summer, Neil, because the squad you inherited was it was a mess. We had so many loan players, we couldn't pick we couldn't pick them all in the match day squad. So how do you take a squad from that and turn it round as quickly as you did into a into a title winning team over that summer? I thought um, I thought we, we we needed some experience, you know. And uh, I went back, and I mean, I think my first two signings were Clint Till and Sean Derrick. And I remember some of you lot, some of the fans for him saying, what is, what's he doing? John Derry and Clint Hill. And we want to take the club forward. Um, but I knew we needed leaders. I knew that we needed men in that trenches with us and, uh, and, and to give us that stability. Clint Hill, I mean, I always said to my lad, uh, William, uh, if you ever grow up, I, I hope you grow up as a Clint Hill. Um, he was such a tremendous asset to us. Um, you know, he's another one that when I signed him at Palace, he'd only played 12 games in about three years because of his injuries. His knees and his ankles were a mess. And um, and I remember saying to him at Palace, look, you're going to play most games for me. So, yeah, I said, but you're not going to train in the week. I said, you're going to have to, I'm, I'm, if I want you to play games, not train and look good in training. So I said, if you train, you, you won't go to play. Not with them ankles. My physio told me that. And he hardly missed a game. And then same with QPR, when he came to QPR, he wanted to train. I said, no, no, Clint, no chance. You go over there uh, and, and have a relax. And, you know, and all this, that, and all that. It used to get to him a bit because he, 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 he's so keen to train. But he, personally, he, he, he continued his career because of that. And, um, I mean, oh, I used to flinch me. You know, and I, I used to see a tackle coming. And with Clint Hill, and if Clint Hill was in that tackle, wow, he didn't want to be at the other end. Um, he was, as a person as well, just an amazing person. So Clint and, and Sean Derry, you know, he gave us that expertise. He had a couple of uh, Barney's with Adele during the season on the pitch <laughs> when he wanted to string him up in one game. We had to we had to part him because um, Adele was doing something stupid, but. You know, we just had, we just got away with it. We we, we persevered to the end, and uh, you know, when, when you looked at Elgerson, I mean, Elgerson was a, was a, a man mountain. I mean, he, he didn't get. I remember when I came, uh, it was an international break, and he came back, and I, he was out on loan somewhere. You found him out on loan somewhere, and I said to him, uh, Ida, um, I asked him to come in to see to see me, and I said, Ida. You're on loan. Was it Watford he was on loan at? Something like that. I said, you're on loan, aren't you, to the end of the season? He said, yeah. I said, well, I want you to enjoy it because next year you're going to get me promotion. He said, what do you mean? I said, you're going to be my main man. I said, how they've let you go on loan, I'll never know. You're the best striker in this division if you, if you played in the right way. I said, and next season you're going to get me promotion. He already had a little stutter. 
and he started bubbling. He, he, couldn't, he just couldn't believe it. And that was my first meeting with him. And he, I said, are you happy with that? He went, yes. I said, well, you get yourself, you'll be happy now. So go and enjoy yourself. I said, then you'll get ready. Pre-season, we're going to hit the track and we're going to get promotion. And you're going to be my main man. And I want you to enjoy it so because you can enjoy it. And, and I don't think he could believe that I said it to him in the first in the first meeting we had. And he's out on loan at Watford or somewhere. So it was, a, but he was another man. I mean, love, when you've got men like Clint Hill, Sean Derry, Elderson, you, you, you've got a hell of a chance, you know. And uh, I managed to get Paddy Kenny on board as well. I always thought, you know, Mr. Reliable to me uh, was Paddy. So, I mean, we had, we had a, uh, Akos Busaki, I thought he, you know, he, he, he came into his, for, I give him a little bit more confidence and, and, and um, things like that. And, and then throughout the season, Jamie Mackey, I mean, what can you say about Jamie Mackey? Just so enthusiastic. So wanting every day to train and to do more, and to run, you know, run, he'd run all day, he'd run home if, he, you know, if there were no cars. He, he just couldn't stop his enthusiasm. Um, and then we had, we, we had people like, uh, I mean, Hogan, he played his part. Tommy Smith uh, came in and, 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 and did well. Matt Connolly was really the Mr. Reliable. He, he's had injuries. I mean, he, he, he missed at Cardiff with me being there the last couple of years, but he struggled with injuries now. And I think he's, he'll be coming to the end. And Ali Fallen, the best midfield player for me. I, I loved him complete. An utter gentleman, but did a lot more than people thought. He got stuck in, and his vision. And I used to think when I was younger, I used to think Bobby Charlton. When I used to watch Bobby Charlton, I used to think, "Well, he's idle, isn't he? He don't do much running about." But it's not that they just find space. These players, the top players, just find space. Ali Falling used to just glide, and I used to love it. Never give the ball away. In training, you kick him and get up, and there's nothing that he couldn't do, Ali. And and he he was just a manager's dream. Was was, was Ali Ali Foreman. And uh, you know, we to have that, we had the we had the the temperament of a Sean Derry. We had the flair of Adele and Akos and people like. And then we had Ali Foreman, who was just as good as anybody. Not just in that league. I thought he was as good as anybody in the top league at that. Time as well, so it was a great, a great mix. Um, you know, we had a Tommy Smith to it, and probably Tommy probably scored one of the, the best, most um, um, what's the word I'm trying to look for? Relief uh, when he scored the second goal at Watford um, when we got promotion. I mean, you know, we we were one nil up and they were under the caution, and, and then to, I can see him now picking the ball up on the left wing a couple of dummies coming in and I'm saying, pass it, pass it, bang, top corner. And and all the fans, our fans were at the back of that goal, got goose pimples and I was talking to you, and all the fans at the back of the goal, it was, it was you know, all erupted. We knew then, I think it was 89th minute, something like that. And, you know, we all knew we'd gone up now. And it was just an amazing day, red hot day. Um, the relief around and, uh, you know, the satisfaction. And I remember going home that day and everybody was, you know, going out and drinking and all sorts of things. And I, I had a bottle of water on the bus and um, I remember getting home and having a cup of tea and falling asleep. I just absolutely shattered that day. 
and the emotion of the whole season and where we'd come from when I'd arrived at the place to where we were, you know, uh, going to the promised land. And it was just, uh, it was all, you know, Sharon was brilliant. Sharon, my missus, had, had, you know, we'd lived at Richmond and she took all the pressure off us all. You know, we, we used to go and get on our bikes and cycle around Richmond Park and see all the the, stag, the stags and, and all the deer and that which we loved. Uh, I remember on the bike one day, um, on the mountain bike, just going through there and I took a shortcut and there was a big stag come out of the bushes and he facing me there. And I, oh, it looked amazing, all his antlers. And I, and I just stopped the bike there. And he was only about 25 metres in front, something like that, cricket ground away. And uh, he just stood and looked at me like that. And I said to him, well, I don't know to play Saturday, pal. I've got a choice of this one or that one. I said, have you any, any idea? Can you give me any help? You know, do you, do you understand what I'm talking about? I'm sure he nodded when he when I said it. And, uh, you know, I thought, if anybody could film this now, me talking to a stag about tactics, QPR tactics, one of the best things ever. That. And then I said, thanks for that, pal. And off I went, and he just went off. And it was a, you know, but Sharon, you need, you need your family at the, at the top level of management because it's so intense. To, to satisfy everybody up, down, sideways. Um, everybody's an expert now. Um, the, the phone-ins, podcasters, you know, everybody has their opinion now. So it's it's 10 times more difficult for a manager coming into the game now um, to deal with all that. Um, but I loved, I loved, I've had eight promotions now. and All the promotions, all those teams will have reunions because of the way they are, the way they got together. And, and when they come back and meet them in 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is, they'll, they'll all be the same again. Uh, I, don't, I don't see any of those lads changing. Uh, and, and that's the satisfaction for me. The fans had, a, a, had, a, had a, a year to remember, really, because I don't think before, I mean, I took the lads down to Cornwall, again, pre-season. I remember at Bodmin, somebody saying that, you know, QPR fan who lived down in uh, down near Bodmin and said, oh, I can't believe he brought my team down here, you know. And, uh, and I remember uh, the barbecue, as I always had a barbecue at our house down in Cornwall, and uh, I remember all the lads getting together, and I did it at, um, at uh, a few clubs, um, Cardiff, I did it with them a few years, a couple of years ago, where, you know, when I had a chat with them after a training session, um, all the all the, um, the the nutritions wanted me and chicken and rice chicken and all that rubbish and and I said they're having a barbecue we're having sausages and we're having burgers and you're having them all right and we're having all this and I cooked it all and, and then I, and then after I had a little chat and I said this is it lads this year I said we're gonna go up this year and because we just escaped relegation assigned a few players and I'm sure. Um, I can't remember whether it was. I think it was. Um, I think it was Desert, John Derry, um, because I said to him, you know, uh, this is it. Enjoy pre-season. We're not going to play any massive clubs. We're going to have one good game before the season starts. We don't need any practice this year, lads. We know what's coming. We're going to be ready. And I, do, I think we won the first four or five games, didn't we? Something like that in, in that season. But I remember Derry coming up to me later on in the afternoon at that barbecue and. And saying to me, Gaffer, have you been drinking? 
I've had a few drinks, you know, to say that we're going to go up. You know, we've only just got together, the squad, and, you know, it's a tough league. I said, trust me, Desert. I said, I know what I've got in this in this dressing room around this. And I felt like that with, with my Cardiff team. I felt like that with me, my QPR team. And, and uh, you know, it's just the instinct, really. I think you just get feelings about things. But I knew that when I looked around that, that barbecue, looked at all of them mixing everywhere with the, with the sausages and all that lot, and we had a bit of a laugh with, with the you know, tomato ketchup and mustard. And, and you know, looking round, and, and Sharon was there, and, and she looked through the kitchen windows outside, and I remember going in with, for, to fetch something, and she said, you've got something special there, Alan, haven't you? I said, yeah. And... Um, you know, it just—it it was just that feeling that that I, I thought, wow. You know, when I looked through my team and I went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. How many of them would you swap? How many of them would you want from another club? And I used to say that to them. I used to say, how many of you lot would I want? Look, at, would I swap you? Would I swap you? And I'd go through everybody apart from Clint Till, and then I'd say, all right, Clint, I probably. If I got a right son, and everybody would kill themselves about, you know, me saying that about poor old Clint, you know, yeah, that's what you Clint thinking about it. Um, but that's that's where we were. We were just uh, nothing was going to stop. But I knew, yeah, obviously, you don't know you're going to set off like like we did. But we played some. I mean, we went to my old club, Sheffield United, and dear me, we played some unbelievable stuff. So it was it was. Um, it was special building it, and then to see it fulfilled was was, was fabulous, really. I, I mean, I've, uh, uh, you know, I could talk, as you, as you can imagine now, listen to me, I could talk about it all day. The, t- the thing is, Neil, going back a wee bit, two questions. Sorry to, to interrupt you there, but yeah, I'm enjoying this so much. Why, why do you think that team didn't get the credit it deserved? Because to me, that was one of the best football insiders I'd seen in the championship in a long, long, long time. And we just didn't seem to get... You mentioned the players. You had Akos, you had Fulham. To me, the best midfielder in the league. Should have got an Argentinian call because he was that good. And just in the press, we're against us a little bit. Didn't want us to go up. And secondly, have you been aware of the Joey Barton book? And have you got anything to say about that either? About the what, sorry? Joey Barton's comments in the, um, the, the, the book. No, no, not at all. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not ready to, if I'm honest. But uh, I just think that you, you can only go on what you, you know, on what you on what you see, really. And uh, I think, I think, if it's Neil Warnock's team, uh, you're going to get labelled whether you like it or not, uh, Paul. It, it's, it's. It, you can't do anything about it. You know, even at Cardiff, you know, and, and whatever, you, you know, the, this long ball game and all that. They don't. I don't think they realise how much football we played. I think they just get. It's easy to say long ball, you know. I remember once uh, counting how many times Liverpool knocked the ball long, uh, you know, in one game, and they, they knocked it twice as many as what we did. Um, but it, it's just, you get labelled and you have to just take it on board. You have to bite your tongue and, and you know, you're going to get critics, but you just have to get on with it. I mean, I've, I've had a good innings, really, so I've, I've no complaints. The, um, you, you talk about the Watford game, Neil and you were uh, you were always very consistent all the way through that uh, there wouldn't be a problem with the falling case. I wish we'd had the uh, the same sort of level of calmness. Was that just a, a public? Uh, were you just putting a face on? Because 
I mean, behind the scenes, that must have been fairly traumatic and, and worrying. Whatever you said publicly, we were all worried about it. How was that with that, that court case, which went right down to the last hour of the last game of the season, really? Yeah, he did. Uh, the only thing I would say is I, 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 I trusted Gianni Palladini, right? And although I know he was um, um, Flavio's man um, and Bernie's man to some extent, um, he told me what had happened. And um, and Johnny could fudge things, you know. So, you know, you weren't 100%, 100% sure what's what. So I insisted that I, I could, I, I had a meeting with our legal people, top legal people. And when I had the, when I had this meeting with, with the top legal people, I had a list of questions to them and, and they come up with the answers that I wanted to hear. Uh, they said under no circumstances could they see anything other than a fine. Might be a heavy fine and a, and a warning, but they could not see under any circumstances uh, a points deduction. And and I just went with that, what they told me. I wasn't listening to the media. I mean, one of the, pap- one of the papers came up with something like, um, you know, the, we ought, there ought to be... Um, 12 points and, and some tells and, and as if the FA had told them in one of the papers, it was, you know, a, a source, I think they said, a source at the FA and said they're likely to have to, uh, points deductions and this, that and the other. Um, but I was always convinced, having met the legal guy, uh, the big solicitor up in London, that we'd only get a fine. And um, he just, he went through everything. He was very articulate, went through everything, what had been in the past, what we had done wrong, what, this, what the scenario was. And there were other, 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 other um, circum- mitigated circumstances that, that, uh, that hadn't, you know, hadn't come out into the public domain. So I, I, was, I was very, very confident to that. Um, but when you read, you know, I think the morning that the decision came, um, the, uh, that was the Leeds game, wasn't it? I think it was the Leeds game. Um, that morning, one of the headlines in the papers was QPR, 10 points deducted or something, and, and, and all sorts of things. And um, uh, they, asked, they asked me, I think, they, I think it was one of the tabloids, one of the red tabloids um, who come up with this. It was a source at the FA. And, um, and, I, and I said to, they asked me about it, and I said, well, my source at the FA said we've got nothing to worry about. So he's, uh, it must be a different source to their source. And, uh, and I put it back onto him, really. But uh, I could still see Gianni running down the tunnel. No, no, no points, no points, no points. No, everybody, I tell you, I tell you, no points. Poor old Gianni, he was brilliant. I, I loved him. He, um, he was such a relief for him. Uh, but you know, it wasn't. I didn't go on what Johnny said. I went on what the barrister said to me, and uh, he was adamant, uh, the barrister, that um, that we were going that we'd just get fined and re- slap on the wrist. Neil, after such an incredible season, obviously w- with that title-winning team, and and then going up, what changed? What what for you? Kind of was the cause of of. I mean. Obviously, it was a, a really difficult league, but what kind of caused things to change and what happened with, with the dressing room and everything with, with that Premier League campaign that obviously ended quite early for you? Yeah, I mean, really, it was, um, you know, the, the Flavio told me that, that Burnley that they were going to sell the club. 
And um, I was hoping that they'd sell it. I mean, the, the number, I remember I had, I brought about four players to my house in Richmond to try and sign. Um, I'm just trying to think. I, I, one of them was uh, Gabby Dunn, the, the lad at, uh, down at Cardiff now. Uh, and I had, I had three or four really good players in my house to, to try and sign. And uh, um, Gianni still can't. Uh, Pat Flavio will not spend a penny now. He wants to sell the club and uh, he's adamant he's not going to spend a penny. So from getting promotion in April, end of April, beginning of May, we we spoke to loads of players and agents like you've never seen, but we couldn't we couldn't didn't get any permission to do it. And the only way around it, I, I went to meet Tony Fernandez, uh, who was thinking about buying the club, and I told him that, about the club and how good it was and what you know what it could do and everything, and tried to sell him the club uh, because it needed it needed a new owner. Um, but he couldn't do it quickly enough, and, and we just couldn't sign anybody. We ended up signing. We had to sign to try and sign three or four on deadline day at night time. Phil and we had a new chief exec, poor old Phil Beard. I felt sorry for him. He he come in and he he got to negotiate with agents and all sorts of things. And it it was just it was almost impossible. Um, we had to sign players because we hadn't got enough. But it, it, we just we just signed. We just uh, we went after about I don't know. I must have talked to at least 20, 25 players. And, and then it, all of a sudden it was who was available, who was available. And I remember Scott Parker was my main man. Um, I was going to take him as my, my leader, really, in midfield. And he, he said to me that um, he would come to QPR. Um, it was just uh, one club that, you know, he'd always wanted to play for and... And Bellamy as well, I think. I, I, I had Bellamy as well. Because he said to me that um, if Liverpool don't come for me, I'll sign for you, did Craig. Uh, I met him, you know, I met him and, and um, kept in touch. And right up to the, so that evening, on the evening, Liverpool didn't sign him until late on. And I remember after the deadline passed, I got a message from Craig Bellamy saying, I'm so sorry, Gaffer, but I had to sign for me at Liverpool. It's a club that I've loved and... Uh, but I really appreciate you trying, and you know, I definitely would have signed for you if, if, uh, if, if I, you know, if I hadn't gone to, to there. Scott Parker, like I said, was the other one midfield player, um, and uh, he, he he signed um, for West Ham, I think it was, um, and he was another one that you know I, I wanted to sign. Really, he was going to be my main man, and I thought I'd got him, but um, that fizzled in, right at the death again and uh, missed out. So we ended up, we signed four, four or five players in the space of 24 hours, really. But they weren't, they weren't I'm, you know, not disrespecting them, they weren't probably the first choices. But we couldn't do anything. You, we, Tony hadn't taken over. Um, he didn't want to spend a penny, did Flavio, at that particular time. Um, wanted to sell the club and Bernie and that. And it was, it was, a, it was a mess, really, behind the scenes. And, you know, from so, really, from April... I, I could have been off on holiday from April till the first week of season, and, and not doing anything. It was just uh, it was a, just a waste of time being in there, really. So we we had we had no no real um, preparation as such. Um, our targets weren't realistic, and uh, and we ended up going. I still felt we did all right. We didn't do bad up to Christmas. We were never in the bottom three, were we? 
Um, but at the back, of, at the back, there was always um, a particular agent talking to Tony Fernandez um, about other managers and how they needed a particular manager to uh, to stay up, and um, you know he would be the answer to everybody's dream, and and uh, so. Uh, Eventually, you know, he, he just buckled and um, he did say to me later that in one of his regrets, Tony said, that um, that he listened to somebody else like that and did it too soon, you know. But he said it cost him 200 million nearly. Um, <laughs> changing. So I said he couldn't talk to an ice of that. So it's, uh, it's one of them. It's one of them. Neil, Neil, going back a bit, but just a, a quick question and answer. Was it you that signed Joey, or was it somebody else that brought Joey in without you having to say so? And also, talk about the Chelsea match when you've done that, if you don't mind, and how good was that to, to get the squad you just mentioned, and then go and beat Everton, and then go and beat the Unwashed. That wasn't that wasn't bad. No, it weren't. I weren't. I mean, Scott Parker's my number one choice, but I did think I could. I think I thought Joey was a good player. I did honestly, and I knew he wanted to leave. Well, Newcastle both ways. So um, when Scott Parker fell through, it was just a rush to try and get um, Tony Fernandez was right. He, you know, he wanted a name and uh, he, he agreed, you know, the contract and everything. So it was, um, there, there was about, I think it was about three or four players at, at, at that particular time. Because I remember Phil, poor old Phil having them in each box, in a different executive boxes and going from one to another. To try and to try and get them all sorted, um, but the game, like you said, the first game we got battered three or four, didn't we, against Bolton, and all everybody was, oh god, you know, here we go, and then we went up to Everton and we had a good week against Everton, and, and I went really went back to, um, I really went back to the the Championship side, more or less against Everton, um, and we we had a good win there, and. Um, and like you say, was the Chelsea game the one after that, Paul? Yeah, it was. It was in October because um, it was my daughter's birthday. That's why I remember. I was drunk and I had to wish out my birthday, and I was too busy dancing in the middle of Africa Road. road. But um, you know that that was some game. Because even with nine players, I, I had a sneaky suspicion I that I equalise. It was horrible. I know it was. It was, a, it was a horrible thing in your gut, wasn't it? It was a, like a, yeah. it, was, it was nerves and everything. I remember that uh, the, the nine players. Um, I, I tell you, I remember another. I'm sure Amit won't mind me saying it. I, I remember Amit Batia, um The season we got promotion. When we got promotion, I remember Amit coming to me and saying, "My father-in-law, Mr. Mattel, um, he says if you beat Chelsea, I'll give you, he'll give you a million pounds." If you beat Chelsea ne- next season, so I said, no. I said, okay, I mean, yeah. So when we played them that day, Helgerson scored, didn't they? And we were winning one nil, and then they, like you said, nine players, and we hang on, and you know, we win one nil. And because after the game, everybody's euphoric, and uh, I look up at the director's box, and I went to, I mean, I went. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still waiting for it. He's, he's just slipped his mind, I think. It'll be in the post, Neil. That'll be. It'll be in the post somewhere. Yeah, Mister Mitchell. You don't get yeah money without looking after it. So it's a, it was, but it was a great win for us. That you know, um, to be, to beat one of the top sides and and and, uh, and uh, but in the circumstances, it was it was 
to become difficult later on in, in that respect. One one thing I will say before uh, we, we we kind of wrap up, Neil. It's a shame because we never ever, as far as I remember, have been as high up in the league as we were when you departed the club. And I felt, for one, you were sacked way too soon. And it's a real shame the board didn't invest the money they wasted with a certain um, guy called Mark Hughes because I think you would have done a lot more, a lot better, and our stability in the Premiership would have lasted a lot longer. That's for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I felt I felt like that. I thought that. If we could get to Christmas, I also thought the second half of the season, fixtures were slightly better for us. Um, the way that they came up, the home games and things like that. So uh, I, I was quite confident that, that, that we'd stay up and not to be in that side. I think, you know, I think I, I, um, um, when, when I left, it was such a disappointment for me um, because, no disrespect to Tony, but Tony had only just come in. So Tony hadn't seen the situation at the club when I arrived and and and, had to, and built it. But I felt like I'd built everything and I just felt that um, I deserved that season. Um, but football's like that. Every time I, you know, when I get in the premiership, I, um, I get, you know, I usually get the sack. It's one of those things. You just have to get on with it. Um, but there's a lot worse things in life. And, uh, you know, it's something else always you know, seems to crop up and had other opportunities. Um, but the one thing that they can't take away, they can't take away that that particular season and the enjoyment of that season, which will be there. And even now I get I get QPR fans down in Cornwall um, telling me that it's probably the best season they've ever had. And, and uh, that means a lot because QPR is a really good historical club and, and they've had great times. So it's nice to contribute. Nice to contribute to uh, part of the history, really. No, absolutely, mate. And you'll be revered for years to come. Um, just before we go, a couple of things. I was going to say, so as a manager, when you get sacked, are you thinking, are you hoping they lose their next few games so you're vindicated or are you still rooting on for them because that's your set of players there? No, you get vindictive as a manager. You, you, you <laughs> to, the, to the press, you say, I hope they win every game. But, you know, let's be fair. Uh, you know. And, and just finally for me, Let's look ahead to the current season. I don't know how much you've seen of QPR, but our current crop of players and different sort of player, but I guess our new Adele is a Berriese who's been coveted by a lot of teams. I'm just wondering what, what you've made of QPR and what you think of Mark. How, how do you pronounce his name? Say again? How do you pronounce the player, the young man's name? Berriese. I think he's an amazing talent, mate. Um, I don't think he's a, an Adele Tarab. Um I think he... He works his socks off the kid at times. And uh, I think it's just, um, I think the top teams in the Premiership will all be looking at him. And I think he'll play Premier League. I think then when he gets into the Premier League, I think he'll, he'll be asked to be slightly more disciplined. But that will come when he's playing with Premier League players every week. But I've not seen talent like him for a long time. And um, I think they've you know, got quite a few good young lads. Um, you know, I spoke to Les Ferdinand a few a few weeks ago and, uh, you know, I said to him, you'll have a job to keep hold of some of these lads, you know. So it's nice. I mean, I think QPR, the fans aren't as, um, what's the word, not expectations, but the fans aren't as wanting success like yesterday. I think the fans at QPR, as long as they enjoy themselves and have a good time, and I think they give managers a little bit more chance now. 
with the young players. And Mark's Mark's a, a good manager with the young players. So I I, I think it's uh, it, it, it all goes well, really. Um, you know, like when you've got young players like that, you're going to have periods where you lose four or five games. And 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 I think QPR fans are a little bit more tolerant now than than most fans are because everybody demands success now, don't they? Which is I mean, I used to say when I went to a club, I'd like three or four years to build a team. Now you're lucky to get three or four months. <laughs> it's, that's how things have changed over the years. Before, before you, Kim, you're lucky to get three or four minutes, I can tell you. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, Neil, we're going to let you go. But before you go, I, I, I've got to say, um, I, I don't tend to speak for QPR fans, I speak for myself, but... A couple of years before you came, we were out with Buckets trying to save our football club. We had administration, we had so many dark days, so much, so many things had gone wrong. Everything we touched just burnt in our faces. And, you know, Ian Holloway did do a good job in the respect that he kept the club going and stuff. But that season is the season that will live me forever. And I'll tell my grandchildren about it. Although I can wait quite a long time for them because he's only 19 and that's not been a career. Um, and we just want to go forward and, and think of that season. So thank you so, so much. I mean, you should you should get the freedom of shepherd's bush every time you come in the place because you give us back our hoops in a lot of ways and we can never thank you enough in my book for that season. Well, thank you. thanks ever so much. And that's why I've enjoyed coming on. I wanted to... It's great to, for me to talk. And some of the stories I've mentioned today, I know I've gone on, but you've probably not heard any of some of those. So I think it's good to let all the fans know. I, I've still got... I must have. I've got a box that big with emails like I've never seen from QPR fans. And I was clearing out during this virus thing. I thought, well, what a good time to clear my office. I can't throw them away. They're, they're that high, the emails. And everyone's got a story. You know, they've all, they're all, my dad supported them for 45 years and this is that. And, and they've all got stories. So it's amazing uh, that I'm, kept them all. There were a few cobwebs on them and what have you, but uh, I, don't, I don't feel like throwing them away. And I'm going to, I've found all my programmes and things like that, so I'll have to dig my programmes I'm sure, I don't want to put them in the bin. So I'll have to, I'll have to make sure I give you lads and ladies some of these, you know, mementos uh, that I've kept for over the years, because uh, I'm sure that the shop might be able to do something with them. Has this um, made you uh, want to get back into into management, Neil? Are you reminiscing now you've got the bug again, or are you happy to be relaxing in Cornwall without a, a team to worry about? I, I think now, I think I worried for the first sort of um, three or four weeks because, you know, I had a, I had a super chairman at Cardiff, Mehmet Dalman, and, and he didn't want me to go. And everything. But I, I didn't want to, when I went to Cardiff, I'd already re- retired three times. And I didn't, I didn't want to go and end up at Cardiff being booed by the fans or, you know, I wanted to leave when I'm, when I'm on a, you know, so not on a high, but having done a job there. And that's why I thought it was right all the way around, really. Because it, it's, you know, I've, I had three great years at Cardiff, unbelievable years. So, I mean, I'm 12 games short of my 1,500 uh, league matches. I've got cup games as well. So I, I was tempted. I thought, well, I'll, I might get somebody to give you 12 games before the end of the season, but that looks a long way off at the moment now. So I don't think so. I think, Sharon, I don't think I'll, I dare go on any longer than that while <laughs> I've got my health. But uh, I have enjoyed it. It's been a great career, and I, I have enjoyed it. But, you know, you never know what's around the corner, do you? 
Well, we, we really appreciate you coming on and we'll let you get back to uh, Sharon and, and your family. Um, thanks so much, Neil. I don't know, your daughter Amy might need to come back in and help you log off. I'm not... She will, she will. But yeah, thank you so much. And um, I hope you and the family stay well as well. And we look forward to hopefully maybe seeing you uh, on the TV uh, as a pundit, hopefully maybe from your living room. I don't know, who knows what, what, uh, what football looked like. I'll give everybody, all the QPR fans, my best regards, won't you? I'm glad, uh, I hope they've all got great memories too. Thank you very much. Thanks, Neil. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Um, so, unfortunately, um, when um, Neil Warnock's daughter, Amy, was being called out for help, um, Clive seemed to take matters into his own hands and was um, trying to remove Neil from the Zoom meeting. Um, but unfortunately, he accidentally also removed Chris Charles. And because Chris has been removed from the meeting, he's not allowed to rejoin. I guess that's a security thing if you kick someone dodgy out of your Zoom call. So, unfortunately, <laughs> Chris, unfortunately Chris is no longer w- with us because of Clive. Um, I feel I feel so, <laughs> so bad about this. Sorry, sorry, Chris. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you, Flo. Since um, Clive was put in charge of putting this whole Zoom thing together. I've seen, I've, I've seen Paul corrupt lesser souls. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just saying, be careful where we tread in Zoom yeah, because I we know. get kicked out. I think well, we should it's... go back to Skype next time. He's just uh, told me what his R's end is, and I think it's the same as everybody else's. So yeah. I'll, uh, we're going to move swiftly on to R's end. And, yeah, no, that's Chris, a good idea. Chris has just texted, but um, I think a lot of us um, will have the same one, and a lot of the QPR community have already taken part. So if you haven't yet seen or, or been part of the Walk From Home, it's a fantastic bit of fundraising that um, QPR are doing for the Tiger Club um, because obviously they couldn't do their big walk they do every season, and it's supposed to be their 11th year doing that because it was supposed to be happening at the Fulham game. So instead, they're asking people to walk from home however far you want to do it. A few of us have done a run instead and then donate on their Virgin Money giving page, um, whatever you can to support them because they need the money to continue delivering amazing football sessions for young kids who love football just like us and deserve to be part of it too. So um, that's my R's end. And I know Chris um, would also want to get the word out on that. So um, Clive, I don't know if you have anything else that you want to add? I've, I mean, I've disgraced myself, haven't I? So I'll probably, I'll probably pass. You don't on. deserve one. No, I don't deserve one, and uh, that was that was going to be mine as well. Enjoyed my run this week, and uh, yeah, they've already raised a, a really substantial amount of money. So uh, anyone that can get involved, do. And uh, Finney. Well, I'm, I was just going to echo what everyone. That wasn't me. <laughs> no, it's it's amazing. I think it's something that we could build on as well because I know. So, so, People turn up every year and do the walk, and, and that's fantastic. But this is a nice little add-on that I'd like to see kept because it gives every chance, everyone a chance to take part and do things. The only thing I did find interesting this week in the QPR world of circles of things was the announcement on season tickets. Um, season hasn't finished. They're going to extend the um, thing. But, yeah, just I suppose it just reminds you where you are on this and how clubs need money. But I, I think the season tickets are going to be a long time before they're able to take them out. What do you think, Clive and Flo? Do you think it's... it's well, my, it's dad, my dad texted me at the start of the week saying, oh, what's the latest on season tickets, which is why I texted you guys, because I hadn't seen anything. And then obviously mm. they announced that they were extending the deadline. But my dad was asking, oh, are we going to get a credit based on the games that 
are behind closed doors if they happen for the rest of the season. And I'm not so sure about that. Obviously, yeah, I can understand fans like myself and others will, will want our money back for the games that are left. But at the same time, so many clubs, not just QPR, really do sort of need that for their cash flow. So um, I don't know what you guys think about crediting and refunding the remaining couple of home I th- games. I would think they, they'll they probably offer three options, won't they? They'll either say you can have a refund uh, or you could maybe choose you could choose not to take the refund or you could have a credit against next season that you know that's yeah. the fairest way of doing it i'm not sure i'd take mine but that you know some it's only a couple of games people, isn't it so. yeah people have lost jobs and incomes you know through all of this they might be absolutely gagging for a refund so it should definitely be offered and you but, know give people that chance i suppose one way they could do it is maybe offer it back in qpr cash and then open that up to away game tickets as well and, and kind of find some way maybe the football league can have subsidised. I don't know. But yeah, I don't, I don't envy them in the task. I think it's going to be hard to get money in, but at the same time, please, everyone, because the season hasn't finished and may not finish. And if it does finish, we'll probably watch it on a laptop. So it's, 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 listen, it's tricky. But yeah, Clive, nail on the head as usual. There's people's jobs at risk, which is always far more important. So I, I would, like you, probably decline any offer of a refund as long as no one gets loses a job or gets a sack. But, you know, everyone's entitled on opinions on that. Well, um, yeah, it's been an absolute classic podcast, I think. I think this is going to go down in uh, in Open All R's kind of, you know, top, top 10 episodes, I would say. Because um, mm. we heard from the man himself who... Um, as you all have heard, if you've, if you've made it to the end of this podcast, he has some pretty hilarious anecdotes and stories from his time at QPR. So we hope you all enjoyed it. And uh, we'll, we'll Sorry, it was probably... a week late, by the way, folks, as well. They want to listen. Sorry, we did have a plan last week for last week's show, but it went per shape. So, <laughs> it unraveled uh, a little bit. A wee bit. So hopefully we'll agree that it, it, this was worth waiting for. Blame, blame people's publishers, that's all I'll say. So anyway, <laughs> we will return next week uh, with Lord knows what we're going to talk about, but I hope you enjoyed the episode and, uh, yeah, enjoy lockdown life. UPR, UPR, Rangers.